wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. Please consider sharing this and other episodes through your social media accounts or through word of mouth with friends so that more people can kick against the darkness. You'll find our social media links at bleedingdaylight.net. Today I'm talking to a husband and wife who are using their decades of marriage experience to help others build strong relationships that will go the distance. Doug and Leslie Davis have been married for over 30 years and have raised four daughters, so they faced many of the obstacles that present themselves when people aim to go the distance in relationships. Through the Vision Driven Marriage Podcast, Marriage Retreats, Coaching and Other Resources, they seek to help couples to connect, learn, encourage and be encouraged. They are my guests on Bleeding Daylight today. Doug and Leslie, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us with you. When we stand in front of a group of friends and say, I do, I'm sure that most people have a vision of how things are going to pan out from that point. But it can often be less about what we imagine happening at that time and more about the unexpected things in life that we encounter that define our marriages. So take me back to that day for the two of you. What were your expectations all those years ago on your wedding day? I think we spend a lot of time planning the wedding and don't spend a lot of time planning the marriage. We were both very young when we got married. We were 20 when we got married. I was basically on autopilot. I was going with the flu. However things went, that's (laughs) how they went. But I praise the Lord that Doug was grounded in Christ because that's probably the only way we would have made it through. I think when you're young and you enter into a marriage, you have ideals of what you think things could be, that pie in the sky kind of idea. And you're not really sure how to get there. And so, you know, Leslie was talking about just being on autopilot or going with the flow. I think one of the things that we've learned the most since our marriage is how to be more intentional mm-hmm. to do the things that we want to do and, and and rather than just you know floating down the river of life being intentional about what we do and where it's going to take us and how we can achieve the things we want but Leslie had just turned 20 when we got married I was uh, a month away from turning 21 we weren't even aware of how many things we didn't know at that point. Yeah. I don't know. You know, <laughs> there's a certain time where you just think you can uh, just conquer the world. Yeah. Conquer yeah. the world. You've got the the world by the tail. And, and I, I don't even think we knew how many things we didn't know at yeah. that point. But one thing we did know is that our relationship was a priority. Always our relationship has been a priority. We go into marriage knowing that relationship is a priority, but not really knowing what that means because we hear people talking about making marriages work and and working hard on relationships. And yet in those early days, relationships can just seem so easy. So we don't really know what's going to come around the corner, do we? No, no, we don't. And Rodney, I think that one of the things that we do so often is that we think everything's always going to be that honeymoon phase. 
some people struggle when the first real trial or the first real test happens in their marriage. And that's when you find out whether you are willing to work through some of those difficulties or if you're going to try to ignore them and pretend they didn't exist, just push it under the rug, or if you're going to argue and fight. The issues that we see so often actually come from people trying to ignore things, trying to hope that if I if I ignore the difficulty we're facing today, maybe tomorrow it'll be gone and I can pretend it never happened. And then you store up all of those days that were struggles until they burst. There is that way of thinking that everything's going to be fine, so I don't necessarily have to work on it or maybe pay a bit of attention to it. But then I'm wondering how many couples go into marriage with that fatalistic view that, I see so many marriages around me failing, so we'll give it a shot, but hey, we don't know. That is a problem too, because if you go into a marriage doubting, thinking that maybe the relationship's not going to be a priority, yeah, you're probably already on a course for at least some type of defeat. Right. And I know that Leslie sees that a lot in the counseling office. She has been blessed to have a counseling ministry. I'm the pastor of a church. And so one of the things that I try to do when I do premarital counseling, I spend just a short amount of time trying to find out how easy it is to talk them out of their relationship. Because if I can talk them out of their relationship in three minutes in my office before they're married, it points out what we really need to work on because you're right. There's some people who think marriage just fail. Mine might fail, but I'll cross my fingers and hope. You don't have to cross your fingers and hope. You can do things mm-hmm. that will allow your marriage to make it regardless of your circumstances. Yeah. Circumstances stink. There's stuff that's going to happen in your life that's going to be terrible. Very few people escape having to face those difficult circumstances, but there are things you can do that will allow you to draw closer to one another during those difficult times instead of letting those difficult times cause you to grow farther apart. I think when you're defining those things that you can do, you know, they're all kind of defined by being in a covenant relationship. You know, the Lord is in a a covenant relationship with us. He has made us promises that he keeps regardless of what we do, you know? And I think that's a premise for making a marriage relationship a priority is that when you enter into that, you're entering into a covenant as opposed to a contract. And when you're behaving in a covenant relationship in the marriage, there's a lot of things, you know, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin and just being in a covenant relationship. There's a lot of difficulties that (laughs) kind of smooth themselves over just because you're behaving with covenant behavior in that relationship. And there's circumstances too that aren't, it's not that they suck. It's just that they're hard. They're still good. Like when we had children, when we had our first child, we were, I was 23. That changed the dynamic of our relationship from just a couple to a family. And there was a lot of adjustments in there that kind of took us by surprise. I don't know that we were ready for them. But because we were operating in a covenant relationship, we made the changes that needed to be made in order to take us from a couple to a family. And we kind of smoothed right through that. We decided to have three more. We made it through the mistakes anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in that idea of a covenant marriage because covenant is not something that we talk about a lot 
in this day and age. So oftentimes when we talk covenant, what people have in mind is is contracts. So we state, this is what I expect to happen. This is what I will put into the relationship. And the other person does the same. And we come up with, with like a contract. What's the difference between a contract and a covenant? In a contract, both parties sign an agreement that if you hold up your end of the bargain, then I am contractually obligated to hold up my end as well. So if I hired you to put a fence in my backyard, you put up the fence, I pay you. But if you decided that you were only going to put up two sides of the fence and you didn't finish it, I would then no longer be under obligation to hold up my end to pay you. And too many people view marriages like that, like it's a contract, but God says it's a covenant. Here's the big difference. In a covenant, you do what you said you would do simply because you promised you would. It has nothing to do with whether the other side holds up their end of the agreement or not. And you know that's the way that God relates to us. And I really like that because if I was responsible for holding up my end of what I'm supposed to do all the time, I wouldn't receive the blessings and the grace and the mercy that I'm given. But God gives those things because he said he would. And I'm so grateful. When God dealt with us with covenant, every time, uh, regardless of which covenant agreement it was, the covenant would be laid out with an event of some sort where he would show himself to his people. There would be a promise that would be made, and then there would be a symbol of that promise. Like when God said that he would never again destroy the whole world with water, he made that promise and then put a rainbow in the sky to be the symbol of that promise that he made. And in a wedding, that's really what we're doing. And if we look at it properly, we are coming together. The ceremony is the event. We make promises to one another that we will love each other fully, wholeheartedly for the rest of our lives and put a ring on each other's finger as a symbol of that event. But if we would understand that the promise that I make on my wedding day isn't something that I will shirk the first time my wife doesn't do what I want her to do. I made the promise and I'll do what I promised because I said I would. All of a sudden that changes your marriage. It's interesting when we're talking about that because I know that through the ages that has led people to say, well, I'm in this covenant marriage. I have said I will do this and I'll do this no matter what. And I know that it has caused some people to stay in marriages that have been not just difficult, but sometimes been abusive. So it's difficult sometimes for people to draw that line. How do we start to have a look at that? And I know that many people will rush to breaking down a marriage too quickly, but how do we know when that time has come? The Bible outlines very clearly when when there's been adultery in that marriage, that covenant has been broken. When that covenant has been broken, God gives you the choice to remove yourself from that marriage with his blessing. And sometimes that's really, really hard. And that's not often preached in our current society. It's not God's desire, but it's something that he allows. He said that he would, you know, that you'd been released, even though it was never his will for that adulterous relationship to happen in the first place. But with the specific of your question with abuse, we want to make sure your listeners understand this. 
we don't advocate that anyone stay in a place where they are being physically or verbally abused abused ever. Mm -hmm. You need to find someone who can help you. You need to make sure that you're safe. But there are ways to fix the, the things that are broken in your relationship so that you're changed. It's not just that you're enduring. I made a promise, so I'll suck it up and endure the rest of my time. It's not like it's a life sentence. God wants to bring a change in you and a change in your relationship. When you enter into a covenant relationship, you're responsible as the spouse for holding up your end of the covenant. If your spouse is not holding up their end of the covenant, then God may give you the release from that relationship because the other person's not holding up their end of the covenant. It's an interesting topic, and I guess there's a lot that you would encounter during your times of counselling. But I want to move away from that now and talk about the everyday sort of things that can trip us up in a marriage. And I imagine that you have faced your fair share. What are some of the things that have caused you to stop and reassess and say, okay, we need to do better? (laughs) I think whenever you see the increase of negative emotion, that's generally a red flag to say, okay, we need to regroup and process what has caused that negative emotion. And most of the time that negative emotion is anger. When you're feeling angry towards your spouse, that is a generally a time to just say, okay, what's causing that anger? We need to check. We need to regroup and remember our priority. You know, our priority is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that's undermining that relationship, be able to communicate through that and talk about that with the relationship being a priority. The other thing that we've learned is so many times we struggle to communicate, not because we struggle to talk to one another, but we struggle to hear each other properly. For generations now, we understand that men and women process things differently. We can accomplish the same things. I am so blessed that I have a wife who is very, very talented and can do amazing things, but she and I don't always start at the same place. We can accomplish the same thing, do the same thing. But when she uses certain phrases, she might mean something different than when I use the same word. A lot of the the struggles that we faced early on were because we made the assumption that I think a lot of your listeners make. We don't mean to, but we think other people do things exactly the way we do them. We think they're motivated by what motivates us. We think that they use words the way we use words or that they think the way we think. And very often that's not true. And so as you learn about your spouse, one of the most important things that we had to learn to do was ask each other questions, especially when we were emotionally charged and frustrated or angry. We had to start listening to each other to find out what was really going on. Leslie, Interestingly, you speak about that anger that can sometimes rise within us, and there's an anger perhaps against our spouse. How important is it for us to actually check ourselves and find out if that's something that our spouse has done, or it's a trigger that comes from something that may be way back in our past? Being able to step away from the situation that you feel like has triggered that anger and process like what is at the core of it. And generally, I just tend to think about, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen in that situation? Like what is the ultimate fear? And that will generally guide you to the idea of what is at the basis of that anger. When you can answer that question, honestly, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? If it then is a childhood trauma trigger or something like that, then you work to process that. But understand that when that anger comes out, 
it's generally coming out towards your spouse because that's the person that's closest to you. And as the spouse who's dealing with a husband or a wife who's triggered, being able to press into that relationship with the compassion and Mm -hmm. the love and trying to understand where your spouse is coming from, that all works to, you know, solidify that relationship and not undermine it. How important is it for us at times to step away from a heated discussion or an argument and say, let's put this on hold for now? Doug and I came into our relationship with different processing. We were taught as children to process difficulties differently. His parents would always sit down and process a heated argument or something at the moment. Like, you know, you just pressed into it and you, I think probably because your family was all boys, you know, there was not a lot of emotion in processing a difficulty. But me, I needed a, a break, generally a time to process how I felt about a situation because when I was processing how I felt, I had no control over my mouth. And (laughs) so I needed to step away and take a 10 or 15 minute break. So I I think in a relationship, it's just about knowing what you need when you're working covenantially in your relationship. You make that agreement to come back and talk about whatever it was that went down you know, after you take the break Mm -hmm. and you're not stonewalling as you step away, but you agree to come back and talk about those things. You know, early on when we were married, we discovered that big difference because the first real disagreement that we had, I wanted to work through it right then. I thought that's what you did did. so that you could bring healing pretty quickly. So, you know, I wanted to come here right now. Let's work through this. She needed time to process. So she wanted to take off for a little bit and calm herself so that she didn't say anything she'd later regret. Me wanting to make her come back and work on that frustrated her more. Her wanting to take off and not deal with it now frustrated me more. And so I think a lot of couples can relate to that. They just have a different processing mechanism. But here's what we discovered. We could actually demonstrate love in a practical sense and honor in a practical sense by the way we dealt with that disagreement. Mm -hmm. Because my innermost being wanted to work on it right now. But I could show Leslie how much I loved her by saying, you know, I know you need some time. I'm going to give you some time. We're going to come back in half an hour, come back in 20 minutes and we'll talk about it. But I'm going to give you that time, even though I want to work on it now because I love you, because I honor you. And she likewise, during the times when she's able to, will come in and work in that moment on the disagreement for the same reason, because she loves me and she wants to honor me. Just imagine how it it takes the hard edge off of the frustration and anger when you're seeing a practical demonstration of love, respect, and honor being shown to you by your spouse. Mm -hmm. And you've raised something very interesting there. You're talking about your families of origin that have set up patterns that we then tend to follow for better or for worse. (laughs) But I'm wondering in this day and age where we see that there are patterns that are reflected right throughout families and through extended families, how do we make a marriage work when the patterns that we've seen modelled to us back maybe several generations are of marriages that really haven't worked or haven't worked well? Well, I think being able to communicate and talk about the patterns, because generally those patterns are triggered by something. Like, you know, you might not even realize that you have this pattern operating in the background mm-hmm. until you press into a hard situation and there's expectations, mm-hmm. right? So being able to say, okay, 
let's unpack that pattern and be able to talk about it. That includes being able to step away from the situation that triggered that pattern and begin to communicate about the pattern. A lot of times in the counseling office, I just give people permission to say, okay, we're talking about the situation, but I need you to step back from the situation and talk about the process. And I think the same is true in real life. We have to give ourselves permission to step out of the situation and talk about the process. Because one of the things that that we discovered, and I think that a lot of people find it to be true in their lives, most of us have something from our childhood that we have said when we were growing up, when I have my own family, I'm going to do this differently. I think all of us have something where we've said that. But what we've discovered is unless you are really intentional about what you're going to replace the behavior with during a time of stress, you fall back into that pattern that you were talking about. Rodney. So, you know, unless you're really intentional about what you're going to do instead, you do what you've always done or do what was modeled for you in your home. And that often can put you into a place where you're doing something and you're not even sure why you're doing it. It's just the way it's always been done in your family. So when Leslie was talking about unpacking that, that's the first step in being able as a couple to being intentional and to do something different so that you can bring about what you want in your marriage instead of just tolerating this is how it's always been so far. Mm -hmm. And talking, having an honest conversation about talking about what works for your relationship. You know, what works for our relationship may Mm -hmm. not be what works for John and Jane who live down the street. Being able to have that honest conversation about what works in your relationship and why it works in your relationship, mm-hmm. that's making the relationship a priority yeah. and working together on the, the difficult things that you encounter. You talk a lot with people that you deal with when you're trying to help with marriages about how to affair-proof a marriage. In today's sex-soaked culture, is that even possible? I think so. I think it's very possible when you understand what it means to live in a covenant relationship. Living in a covenant relationship means that you work to, you strive to have intimacy in your relationship. And it's not just sexual intimacy, it's recreational intimacy, it's emotional intimacy, and you're protecting that. So as you're protecting those types of intimacies, Mm -hmm. you're affair-proofing your marriage understanding how interactions are outside of your marriage and what can build a connection between someone else that should be a connection with just your spouse is important. And a lot of times, again, we're on autopilot and we don't realize that because we have a need that's being unmet in our relationship and we begin to find, most of the time even accidentally find, that somebody else is able to meet that need and then all of a sudden you're opening your relationship to being at risk of an affair. Too many people think that an affair is only if there's a physical relationship with someone else. And too often we see emotional affairs take place that may or may not ever become physical. Understanding that each spouse has needs and then recognizing the the whole purpose by God's design for the marriage is for two people to become one. And by default, we don't process like we ought to. That means that we get to be the ones who provide for our spouse 
in a way that that's complete and fulfilling. And so it's not just being intimate physically, but it's being intimate emotionally, mm-hmm. being intimate spiritually. If you are providing for your spouse what your spouse needs, they are much less likely to look for that need to be met anywhere yeah, else. Elsewhere. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's really strong in our relationship is that Doug has worked really hard to provide and to make our relationship an emotionally safe place for me so that when I have an emotional need, when there's something that I'm upset about or something that I need to talk about or a time where I'm just crying, like sometimes I'm just a hot mess. Us girls just have those days, right? I can come to him and unload that Mm -hmm. and he's like, okay, do you need me to listen or do you need me to fix it? And a lot of times I'm just like, no, I just need you to listen. I just need you to listen and hold me. And that's it. And that emotional support in that moment keeps me from seeking that emotional support outside of our relationship. Now, Rodney, one, that, that was a lesson that took me a long time to learn <laughs> because I'm wired. I am made to, to fix, fix things. It, yes. That's what I do. You know, I come in and I I slay the dragon and I rescue the maiden. <laughs> I, I come in and I fix things. And so it took me a long time to realize that, that there are times where Leslie will come to me with a, a situation and the whole purpose is for me to fix it. And, you know, I'm, I'm made for that. But then there's other times where she needs to tell me what's going on and she doesn't need me to fix anything. But she's so good to me that she tells me when those times are because I would miss it otherwise. And so I want to encourage your your listeners, help each other. Communication yeah. is one of the things that will allow you to have an unusual marriage and an unusual marriage in a very positive sense. Too many marriages fail because things that we think never come out of our mouth, they never get said. And if you have an expectation that's not met, that's crushing. But if you have an expectation that you've never told your spouse and it doesn't get met, that's completely unfair. Mm. Say the things that you expect out loud. So when Leslie expects me, you know, hey, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to do anything. And she's so good. She Early on, she even told me, I just need you to listen. And I'm probably going to cry. And you didn't do anything. I just need you to hear me. <laughs> I appreciated that because I can do that. It's not the way I'm made. So if if you just let me go to my own devices, I'm going to be trying to fix everything you're telling me about your problem. And that wasn't what she needed in that moment. And I was grateful for that. So, <laughs> um, you know, I'd like to encourage all of the husbands who are listening, understand that your wife is going to need things that you don't understand. And it's okay. It's not the way you think. It's not the way you're wired. But she's going to need things you don't understand. Communication is going to allow her to tell you what she's going through, what she needs, so that then you can process it and begin the process of coming together in unity. And notice we didn't say anything about reading minds. No, (laughs) nobody's a mind reader. (laughs) We're terrible mind readers. (laughs) How far along your journey of marriage did you decide that you would like to input into other marriages and help others with their own relationships? There was a time where we saw several of our friends, our couple friends, who were going through some really difficult times. And it just seemed that those difficult times, it caused friction in their marriage or it caused difficulty in their marriage. We realized that we had faced some of those same things. We came through it basically unscathed. And we realized that the Lord really had his hand on our marriage 
it was then that we kind of realized that, you know, we, we need to start unpacking why we come through some of these things unscathed, why and how is the Lord leading us to do some of these things that right. uh, that we see other couples going through and not coming out unscathed. That's kind of what launched the ministry. It's like, okay, Lord, what do you want us to tell people and encourage people to do? And it did. He brought us to a lot of the realizations of the things that he'd brought us through to do well. And then that became our mission was just to help people do these things better than how they're doing them now. We argued and fought with with God first. We knew we were supposed to be sharing some of the things we've learned. And our very first thought was, why us? Why would anybody listen to us? Because we knew that there was nothing special about us as individuals, but we knew that there were some things that we'd learned that God, you know, basically wanted us to share, not because we had it all figured out. We don't. Right. <laughs> we've, we've still got a lot of things that, uh. that we're constantly in the process of learning and constantly in the process of having things be refined within us. So we were, you know, why, why should we do that? We, we don't have any reason why anybody would listen to us, et cetera. But I think what it came down to was we knew that there was a calling. Share what you've learned. Yep. And let other people not necessarily just learn what you've learned, but understand that there's hope that you don't have to just go with the flow. You don't have to go on autopilot. You can be intentional and you can do things every day. You can do things that will bring you closer to your spouse rather than doing things that cause you to be two individuals who share a house. Mm -hmm. And it must be incredibly empowering for you and encouraging for you when you see some of the couples that you're working with have that aha moment, realizing that actually there is hope. This relationship that we stood in front of our friends and said, I do about, actually, (laughs) we can carry this out. Tell me maybe one or two stories where that's actually happened for couples that you've been spending time with. As you begin to minister to people, being able to focus on Jesus and the topics that he lays out for us in scripture being able to lay those out with couples and say, okay, being in a relationship with Jesus and doing the things that he calls us to do, you know, treat each other with respect, with love, being able to communicate with patience and grace and forgiveness, all of those qualities that, he, that Jesus comes to us with in our relationship with him. And being able to see those work out in the couples that you're working with and being able to see them come into your meetings or into your office and they say, wow, we have found a peace that we didn't have in that struggle. Not that their struggles are gone, but they have a peace about it that they didn't have before. That just is very encouraging to continue Mm -hmm. on doing what we're doing. I think of one couple who were really struggling considerably. The husband came in asking me if there was any hope at all. And, you know, and of course, I, I couldn't look into the future to see what was going to go on. I knew that as a spouse, you have to take care of your own stuff and give it to God. Let him change you and then work on your relationship, but you can't control your spouse. And so this, this husband had come in and it was very honest saying, I haven't loved my wife the way I needed to. She feels like she's doing everything all by herself. And so our marriage is struggling. Sharing a simple concept just with him, being able to ask him, are you willing to love your wife 
the way you're supposed to. Because in Ephesians chapter five, what we get to see is mm-hmm. specific for husbands. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loves the church. And Christ loved the church in such a way that when there was nothing we could do to get ourselves to him, he did whatever it took for us to be together forever. He died for us, paying the price for our sins so we could be with him forever. And that's the way we're supposed to love our wives. Are you willing to love your wife in such a way that you'll do whatever it takes so that you can be together forever, which is going to include paying attention to her, listening to her, understanding that the things she's dealing with are different than the way you deal with them, loving her in a, in a very genuine way. And, and what we got to see, I got to see healing take place in his life because he realized early, this is because I'm not doing things well, but just getting to understand that there's a plan on how you can love your wife and that God's laid out that plan, gave him hope. They're still not doing everything perfectly, but this couple is now really taking great strides toward every day, growing closer and closer and closer to each other. Where you know, not very long ago, they were wondering whether they were just going to call it quits and, and hang up their marriage entirely. It's amazing to hear of the healing that can take place. And I'm sure that there are people wanting that healing for their own relationships, for their own marriages. If people are wanting to get in touch with you, maybe to listen to the podcast or just to read some of the things that you're writing about marriage, what is the easiest way for people to find you? They can visit our website at heartcallministries.org. Or they can uh, go to the Vision Driven Marriage podcast, wherever they listen to their podcasts. Mm -hmm. And we've got episodes that are on uh, some fairly specific topics. And so if there's something specifically that you're looking for an answer to, just check it out. See if there's an episode of the Vision Driven Marriage that might address that. Yeah. And I will put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that they're easy to find. Doug, Leslie, it's been so good to talk to you. Thank you for sharing part of your own life and thank you for what you're doing in marriages and helping others. It's been great to have you as part of Bleeding Daylight. Well, thank you, Rodney. It has been awesome to be here. It's been our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.